All right. Hi, guys. We are going to finish up tonight our study, our topical study on biblical discipleship. And so I had two more teachings. Then today I was looking at the two and came up with the third. And so I'm going to try to blend them. So hopefully it all works out. But next week, um, we're going to be, Nate is going to be doing like an update. So basically looking at what's happening in the world, current events and everything, and how they tie in to Bible prophecy. So you won't want to miss that. And then the week after that, we're going to start up in the book of Jeremiah. So Lord, we do pray that you would give us hearts that are open to your word, Lord Jesus, ears that can hear from your spirit, Lord. We pray that you'd speak to us. I pray for myself that you'd give me clarity of thought so that I could pull these things together, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that we have a promise. And it's not a iffy thing, but it's a certain thing. And we can hardly wait, Lord, to be in your presence where you promised to make a place prepare a place for us. So, Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we look forward to tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, um, earlier, I was sitting back there before anyone came, and, and I was looking at the verse. Now, we don't have the whole verse up here. Um, we're told in John chapter 8 that Jesus spoke this to the Jews who believed in him. And so... It says, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, continue in my word, Old King James, New King James, abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And we've had this verse up here for a long time. We had the verse up here and then we painted the cafe down here and then we had it repainted. Because it's such an important verse. It's a reminder that there is fruit. There is evidence of believing. Now, you know, guys, um, we all have different conversion experiences, don't we? We all come to Christ at different times in different ways. We have different experiences and all. And um, I am personally, and I've, you know, I know you guys know more about my conversion story than I know about your conversion stories because I'm always up here yakking. But um, I'm so thankful that my particular conversion was, um, for me at least, so miraculous, so powerful that I knew that I knew that I knew. I mean, there was no doubting it. And, and that had to have come from the Lord, because what would I have to base it off of, you know? But I knew that I was born again. I knew that I was saved on that day that I called out to the Lord and said, Lord, please save me. Even though I had said, the, you know, the sinner's prayer, you know, forgive me of my sins, you know, all of that. I said that many, many, many times before. From a young guy, you know, 12 years old, hitchhiking, I you know, the story of the guys that picked us up and shared the gospel with us. And uh, we just agreed to say the sinner's prayer to get out of their creepy car, you know. But many, many, many times after that, in different locations, in different areas, 
And it was absolutely meaningless to me because it was not accompanied with faith. But on that day that I, you know, called out to the Lord, it was accompanied by faith. It was obviously that appointed moment in time. And the fruit of it was, well, it was, you know, there were a number of things. Number one, I felt like um, I was baptized in love. I mean, I was just so, uh, everything was so lovely. <laughs> and I just, I just loved people. And I loved, you know, it was just love, love, love. I had no idea that that was one of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, you know, is love. I had no idea because I had no Bible knowledge whatsoever. But the other evidence, fruit, of, of my salvation was I had this desire to read the Word of God. And it was a natural thing. Now, this was a big thing for me because I was a guy who made it through high school, went to college twice, dropped out twice, uh, and uh, did not like reading. You know, reading was a chore to me. It was really difficult to me. But here I, I placed my faith in Christ, and all of a sudden, immediately, I want to read the Bible. And then, you know, within a very short period of time, the Lord enabled me to comprehend his Bible. Well, there were a lot of books that I read, and I never comprehended it. I could read a paragraph, and, you know, the teacher or someone could say, well, okay, what did you just read? Well, uh, I don't know. And my recall was really poor and everything. But when it came to the Word of God, there was this desire, and, and, uh, and there was this progression that happened, you know. I'm so thankful that that was my experience. I know that that's not everyone's experience. I know that people don't have those types of things. Maybe your experience was more dramatic. I think, you know, if it's your experience, it's dramatic because it's happening for you, right? But I'm thankful for myself personally that I didn't backslide. I'm thankful that I didn't, you know, walk with the Lord for a time and then, you know, decide not to for a few years or a decade or more and then return to the Lord. I'm so glad that wasn't my experience. I'm so glad that it has been a progression because, you know, I'm not saying that I've always moved quickly, but I have always, by God's grace, moved forward. And... I credit that to, obviously, the Spirit of God who dwells within me. So I had to learn from the knowledge of the Scripture. I had to learn what it meant to yield to the Spirit of God. You know, it's the Spirit that teaches us. It's the Spirit that brings the recollection. It's the Spirit that, you know, reminds us of these things and so on and so forth. It's the Spirit that empowers us to live the Christian life. But, but I would also credit it to the Word of God. Reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God, loving the Word of God, appreciating the Word of God, wanting to read the Word of God. I mean, it's just kind of this progression, you know. It's, it's almost like the carrot on the end of the stick. It just keeps me moving forward because I know that when we're talking about the Word of God, we're not talking about any other book. You know, the person, we, all, we all have heard people, we've all met people that say, yes, I read the Bible. And you almost want to laugh at them because it's like, Really? So that's it. You read through the Bible one time, so you know everything there is. We know that this book is alive. So our understanding of this book, the scripture, is constantly changing and growing. And, you know, man, we need that. So obviously, we're talking about biblical discipleship. Biblical discipleship. 
The key is the word of God. Now, guys, I want you to remember, I mean, you don't have to think hard on this, but, but the disciples had what we do not have, but we have what they did not have. Let me explain. What the disciples had is they had Jesus physically there. They could look at Jesus. They audibly heard Jesus. They could feel Jesus' touch. They could, they could read Jesus' you know, facial uh, expression, his mannerism. We don't have that. None of us have seen Jesus. None of us have heard the audible voice of Jesus. You know, But what they didn't have, because <laughs> unbeknownst to them, they were going to write the scriptures, of course, the New Testament. We have the canon of scripture. So we have the Bible. They didn't have the Bible. When, when you're reading in the New Testament and it talks about them, you know, uh, adhering to the doctrines of the apostles, or when it refers to the word of God, they're always going back to the Old Testament. There was no, test, no New Testament to go to. They were writing these things. These things came in the form of, of letters, a letter to a church, a letter to an individual, a letter to, you know, whoever it might have been. And so, of course, all of these are now in our Bible, and we recognize these as Scripture, as the Word of God, God-breathed, God-inspired. So, we don't have Jesus physically here, but we have His Word, and we have His Spirit. And so, you know, just as the disciples, and we're starting to see that, you know, in our study in, in Mark's gospel, because we're at the end and, and we're watching them, they're bickering over things they shouldn't bicker about, like who's going to be the greatest. And, you know, and, and, and I mean, things are seemingly, seemingly, as you just look at the gospel account, it seems like things are falling apart. Of course, we know the rest of the story. It might have looked like things were falling apart, but the Lord was going to mend everything back together and they were going to be the men that the Lord had called them to be. But, you know, they had a free will. You know, they could have, when Jesus uh, had, had asked them to do certain things, they could have said, no, no thanks, I'm not interested in doing these things, you know. We know about the 12, we know about Judas, you know, so you, you get down to 11, we know about all of these things. But, but there was still the free will. There was, you know, you could be, Listen, you could have been one of the 12 and sat there and zoned out like many people do when, you know, the word of God is being taught. For them, it was the word of God being spoken. They could have zoned out. Do you think they did that? I'm sure they did that. I'm sure they did that every time Jesus talked about going to Jerusalem, being handed over to the Gentiles, being crucified, but on the third day rising again. Because they didn't get it. They didn't understand it until it happened. There are many things they didn't get until it happened or after it happened and they thought about these things. And they remember, I, I always like to remind you of what John wrote concerning the triumphal entry. When John said, you know, in essence, we did these things, but we didn't really understand what we were doing at the time. But later, later when we thought about it, then we understood we were fulfilling Bible prophecy. We didn't even know it at the time. So the word of God, you know, you guys probably figure that with Dan, it's always the Word of God. It's always the Word of God. It's always the Bible, you know, and we have to know the Bible and study the Bible. And, and some criticize, you know, Calvary guys as, you know, with them, it's, 
It's uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible, you know, that there's no room of the Spirit. Well, I'll tell you what. I fault the other yokos that have no respect for the Word of God, and they're saying it's the Spirit, it's the Spirit of the Spirit, and they're Mm -hmm. contributing a lot of bizarre things to the Spirit of God when it's not the Spirit of God at all. It's the Spirit of God who has a teaching ministry and a ministry of reminding and refreshing and equipping and empowering. I mean, that's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is breathing uh, the, the Word of God, you know, inspiring the writers to write the things, you know, that they wrote. That's the ministry of the Spirit of God. And then for us, as we're reading, we're studying the Scriptures, the Spirit of God is ministering to us and teaching us and, and just doing so many wonderful things. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, you guys know it, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God. Note that, approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. And, and here's the context, rightly dividing the word of God. I'll read the same verse out of the old King James. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. Rightly dividing the word of God. It literally means to correctly handle the word of God. So guys, listen, it's not just a book that we could read and say, I've got it, I read it once through, you know, I, I know everything there is to know. No, the, with the word of God, we, we become familiar with it, we, we learn how to use the Word of God. We learn how to understand, you know, to, to, to kind of work our way through the Word of God. Um, and it comes through use. It's like a practice. It's like, it's like, you know, with most things, you know, you start out doing something and you might not be very good at it. And it's difficult. And, oh, this is hard. And then after you keep doing it, you know, you press through a little bit. Oh, boy, things are starting to click for me now on this thing. All this thing is becoming easier for me. You know, a few folks have been saying on Sunday mornings, going through some of the prophecy scriptures in Mark's gospel, they said, you know, the more I'm hearing, the more we're looking at the scripture, the more it's starting to click for me. I'm starting to understand it. And I'll tell you, that put a big smile on my face because that's how it works. That's how it works. You know, I, when I would hear teachings on Bible prophecy and, you know, go to Daniel and go to Revelation and go to Ezekiel and go to Zeph- uh, you know, uh, Zechariah and you're going to all these different places, you know, I didn't, it wasn't clicking for me. I'm just listening. I'm listening. I'm going, oh, okay. I, you know, it doesn't really make much sense to me, but, but there it is. Yeah, I see the, the letters in print, you know, but it doesn't make sense. But as, as I continued in these things, you know, reading these things, studying these things, it became clearer. And this is true of all scripture, right? Not just Bible prophecy. <laughs> you know, I mentioned, I think I mentioned uh, probably not on Sunday. It was probably on Monday night. But um, when you're in the Old Testament, what is so amazing as you're reading the Old Testament, because most of us don't spend much time in the Old Testament, and we're really kind of cheating ourselves. But the little bit of time we have to read, we usually will go to the Psalms or we'll go to the New Testament. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we should be people who really are reading and studying the full counsel of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. But 
But I was telling whoever I was telling, <laughs> I don't even remember who it was, but I said, when you read through the Old Testament, you have these, these uh, moments where you say, I've read this before. Where have I read? Oh, I recognize this. And usually it's found in the, in the gospel accounts, you know, and, uh, or in one of the epistles. And, it's, it's, and, and, you, and you see what many times is said. You see it to be true. The best commentary on the Old Testament is the New Testament. The best commentary on the uh, New Testament is the Old Testament. It's the Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God is never going to contradict itself. It's always going to affirm itself. Always. And as you see that, and this is where we get to, by you know, hearing, by faith. Uh, faith comes by hearing, and that by the Word of God. This is, what, this is how we see it working. It's very, very practical. My faith is being built. Why? Because Jesus is talking about Adam. Obviously, Jesus believed in Adam. Jesus spoke of Noah. Obviously, Jesus believed in Noah. Jesus spoke of Jonah. He used Jonah as an example of his own experience. Obviously, he believed that Jonah was really swallowed by... Do you see what I'm saying? Because we live in a world and we live in a church age where the Word of God is constantly being attacked. Can't trust this. You know, that was... That, that's that, that's just an illustration. You can't take that literally. But when you study the Word of God, your faith is being built because you say, wait a minute. Jesus did not use this example as an illustration. His illustrations are apparent. They're called, what are they called? Parables. <laughs> and when Jesus is giving an illustration, a biblical illustration, it's clear in the text. So we need to know how to rightly handle the word of God. It literally means to cut straight. To cut straight. Uh, last week, as Nate was teaching, <laughs> you know, he, he read that scripture about being punished with fewer blows. Remember that? Th those are scriptures you, you just kind of, you almost want to just move beyond that, you know. Whatever, I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound very good, so I kind of want to move beyond that. But, you know, guys, there's a lot of warnings in the scriptures. And it's not dealing with salvation. It's not saying, you know, listen, if you don't know how to rightly handle the word of God, you're going to lose your salvation. The Bible's not teaching that at all. But it is teaching that there will be shame if we're not rightly handling the word of God. God's disapproval awaits those who mishandle the word of God. And, and I'll tell you, there's a lot of people that are mishandling the word of God. And I'm talking about people in pulpits, you know. So we need to be, if we're truly disciples, you know, you are, you know, you, if you abide in my, my word, you are my disciples indeed. There's the test. And we need to do our due diligence because if we're doing our due diligence, we'll never be deceived. Never. Never, never. Listen, when you have a well, when you have a good diet, a Bible, man, you could pick up the heresy. You could pick up the, the you know, the, the false uh, teachings that are coming down the pike. Guys, this is the thing. We don't have to study every false doctrine out there to know what false doctrine is. We need to just simply know the true doctrine of the bible and then we'll recognize that 
You know, you look at it, and we, we, we've watched videos of it, and you, you kind of, we scoff and we laugh, and, and really, these people are showing themselves to be disapproved of God. But you look at what, at Bethel, you know, uh, they talk about the Holy Spirit as like a genie out of a bottle. And you just kind of go, man, that is blasphemy. That's not just playing with words. That is blasphemy. That is anathema. I mean, these are serious things to approach the Spirit of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. You're not talking about some side thing over here. You're talking about God himself. When you, when you, when you misuse, mishandle the Word of God. But we see this happening all over the place, all the time. Listen to this. The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring us into, a, into an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that we may enter into him, that we may delight in his presence, that we may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of our hearts. Who do you think wrote that? Someone guess. Who? No? Tozier, yeah. I figured it would be an easy one to figure out because, you know, hopefully you guys are reading Tozier, you know. Um, but, you know, guys, we don't worship the Bible, but we worship the author of the Bible. And so we want to know what the Bible teaches. So if you would, turn with me. Now we'll get into the study. Uh, Matthew chapter 25. So go ahead and turn there. And we're going to begin in verse 14. So Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants, note that, and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, note this, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me, delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done. This is where we see that. Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received the two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. And the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. 
Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, <laughs> I knew that you were a hard man. In the perspective, isn't that interesting? The other guys didn't say anything about him being a hard man. But anyway, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not uh, scatter seed, and I was afraid. And went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reaped where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received my uh, back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. Now note this. This will sound familiar to you. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And to he, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast that unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, guys, when you go through the gospel accounts, we see Jesus saying things to his disciples. We see Jesus saying things like, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Um... We see Jesus saying things like, launch out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. We see Jesus saying to his disciples, but I say to you, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. We see Jesus saying to his disciples, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We see Jesus saying to his disciples, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. On Sunday, we saw Jesus saying to his disciples, two of his disciples, go and make ready for the Passover. The point is, is that a disciple of Jesus does things for Jesus. I mean, Jesus expects his disciples to be available to him. Is that a stretch? See, we need to remind ourselves of this because I think that too often we kind of look at, you know, salvation, our relationship with the Lord is kind of a one-dimensional thing. You know, it's, it's all on him. And, and granted, our salvation was all on him. We did not die with him. We did not, you know, we did not carry the weight of our sin or anyone else's sin. You know, he he did that. He accomplished that completely on his own. But as his children, as his disciples now, he has expectations of us. And he will inquire of us. And we see that with the disciples, the Lord asking the disciples. No, he's not always asking them to do stuff, but he tells them to do things, and they do it. He's the teacher, they're the disciple, they're the servants, he's the master. And we see even in these parables, these illustrations that Jesus gives many times, we have this similar theme. We have, we have a, a master, we have someone in charge doing something, 
Sometimes the illustration, the master's not a, a, a good character. Maybe he's a harsh character, a difficult person. But it doesn't matter. He, he still has the response of the servants. Now, how are you to respond to this? And how you respond to this is, is really, you know, important to the Lord. And so, as disciples, Jesus expects us to do things for him. So I'm going to go through this. It's kind of tedious because we just read it. You guys are going to know it, and I'm going to go really slow. But in the illustration, we have three servants. Three servants. We have one that was given five talents, one that was given two talents, one that was given three talents. The talents were silver, wedges of silver. We know this. Um, and the talents would weigh anywhere between, you know, 60 to 80 pounds. And so the master in the illustration really gave a substantial amount uh, by that standard, you know, to his servants. And the amounts that were given were determined, they were based upon the ability of each servant. So that tells us something about the master in the illustration, doesn't it? That the master doesn't, he doesn't expect more than he should. You know, he doesn't expect um, the responsibility, uh, you know, of the servant who received one talent as he would the, the, the servant that received five talents. I, re, I, I expect more from you. I have higher expectations of you. And uh, you might say, I know that you could handle this. I know that you'll do well with this. And so you have three servants. You have three measures of talents. And then you have the five made more, equaling, equaling 11. Actually, 10, but we, you'll, you'll know where we get the other one. And then you have the two that gain two more, equaling four. And then verse 18, you have the one who hid, so that equals zero, because really he hasn't, he hasn't gained any more. And we read in verse 28, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. So that's where the eleven comes from. I want you to keep in the background, in the back of your mind, what Jesus said about the one having, having and receiving um, let me find it. For to everyone, verse 29, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. And so then you have one of the servants here is well done. Second servant here is well done. Third servant, well, nothing's done <laughs> because, because nothing, nothing was achieved. And, and what motivated him was fear. And he went and he hid the talent, buried the talent. So then, of course, the response, first servant, good and faithful servant. Isn't it funny how we always assume that by the mere fact that we're Christians, we will automatically hear good and faithful servant. It's just a given. But where do we even get this? See, we've got to go back to the source. And when we look at the source, we see that, 
that that's really not what Jesus was teaching here. So the first servant, good and faithful servant. Second servant, good and faithful servant. Third servant, neither good nor faithful. In fact, it's even worse than that, because verse 26 tells us that you wicked and lazy servant and unprofitable servant. So he's wicked, he's lazy, and he's unprofitable. And then, and then you get down, and, and he, he commends the first servant faithful over few things, second servant faithful over few things, third servant not faithful over anything. Again, the whole thing, he just buried it because he was afraid to do anything with it. It was just something that was, I'm just going to put this thing away until my master comes back and then <coughs> give him what belongs to him. And the master even says, you know, I mean, what's wrong with you? You know, <laughs> you, you could have done the simplest thing and just put it into the bank and, and, and got interest off of the thing, you know. And then we have uh, verse 21, I will make you ruler over many things. First servant, second servant, I will make you ruler over many things. And then the third servant, for to everyone who has more will be given and he will have abundance. But his was taken away. And then you have again, Enter into the joy of the Lord. Remember, this isn't the Lord, our Lord, but it's the illustration, the master in the story. And the same with the second one, enter into the joy of the Lord. And then the last one, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. The thing that's key is that he did not say to the first or the second, you know, you've been really faithful with many things, did he? What did he say? Few things. You've been faithful with few things. I'm going to bring this back around. You know, guys, the Word of God, our faith grows by the Word of God. Do you know where we've heard that verse, verse 29? For to everyone who has more, or who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. Do you know where we've heard that before? We've heard it in chapter 13. In chapter 13, the context is the parable of the sower. Remember the seed? What does the seed represent in the parable of the sower? Do you remember? The word. And so then... You know, the disciples asked about, you know, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus said in 1310, he says, and the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. Here's the verse for whoever has to him more will be given. And he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see. See, they do not see. They do not see. It's not saying I want to keep them blind. 
It's this rejection. We've looked at this many times. We've gone back to the source in Isaiah. He says, um, "They let's see. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes, they have closed. Not God. God doesn't close their eyes. They have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. And then Jesus goes on again to his disciples. He says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And then he goes on and he explains the parable. And as he goes on to explain the parable of the sower and the seed and so on, we see the emphasis upon the word. Verse 20, So he who received the seed on stony ground or stony places, this is he who hears the word and he immediately receives it with joy and it goes on. And Verse 21, the same thing. Because of the word, because of persecution, because of the word, immediately stumbles and falls away. And then, of course, he gets down to the one that is important to us for tonight. Verse 23, but he who receives the seed on the good ground, and remember the ground is the condition of the heart, right? It's not the condition of the ears, it's not the condition of the mind, it's the condition of the heart. And he says, on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So where am I going with this? You know, the word of God, reading the word of God, studying the word of God, knowing the word of God takes time, doesn't it? It doesn't just happen. And... Um, and we have this opposition, which we, we all should be familiar with. We have the enemy. He does not want us in the word of God. If Number one goal of the enemy when dealing with believers is to confuse us concerning the word of God. To convince us that we cannot know the word of God, so why even try? To keep us stupid when it comes to the word of God. I think of, you know, um, I was raised Roman Catholic, you guys know. Roman Catholic, we went to parochial school, we went to Mass every Sunday, we did all this stuff. Do you know that we didn't even own a Bible? We didn't own one Bible. And we didn't need to own a Bible. Because in the Catholic <laughs> Church, Catholics are never encouraged to read or study the Bible. Because you have the priest that does that for you. So the priest is the one who will read and interpret and he'll tell you what you need to know about the Bible. And so you have, 
Think of that, that, that. This is just one denomination. This isn't even, you know, scratching the surface of Orthodox, you know, Greek Orthodox and, you know, R Russian Orthodox and the different Orthodox groups. This doesn't even scratch the surface of, of many even mainline Protestant churches that really kind of do the same thing. And so you have people who... Um, their growth is stunted because they're malnourished, spiritually speaking. Because I guarantee you that in churches like that, the Catholic Church and mainline Protestant churches like, like that, that you know everything comes from the pulpit, you never have an encouragement to study the Word of God, to be in the Word of God, you always get that encouragement here. I, I mean, our goal is you know, to make it look so simple that you'd say, I think I could do that. Because you can. Because you have the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and, and the Lord wants you to know His Word. He wants you to understand. He wants you to read and to say, oh, my, I, I understand this. I see this. These things are coming together. And, you know, you're able to connect the dots and everything. Because it will make you stronger in your faith. And it will make you more equipped to share the gospel with people and share the word of God and biblical principles because you yourself know the word of God. You're not just saying, uh, maybe we can make an appointment with my pastor and you could go in and talk to him. But you're available. You're, you're the person who has studied the scriptures and has the spirit of God and is able to articulate the truth of God's word. But I think of how you have these denominations that keep people from the word of God. And I'll tell you, that is a tool of the enemy. So if you have churches like that, churches where they're not teaching through the word of God, you know, there's a lot of churches. I would say the majority of churches do not teach through a book of the Bible at one time. So what you're going to get is the pastor's favorites. The pastor's favorites. So he's not going to touch on topics that might be controversial because the last thing you want is you, want people, you don't want people to get mad at you and leave the church, you know. And so uh, I'm going to teach on topics that I know the people like, you know. And you kind of have a, you know, a little file of, of sermons, sermonettes for Christianettes, you know. And you pull them out and you teach them and you rework them and that type of thing. But I'll tell you, when you're going through the Word of God, now you're dealing with different topics that might be difficult. They might be hard topics to deal with. You know, I've told this story many times. But we... Um, you know, we were, years ago, we were going through the book of Romans. So we're going through the book of Romans. We're just starting the book. And um, uh, I see this young woman come into the church. We knew her. Uh, our, some of our children knew this woman, young gal. And she came into the church. And we knew her. Tracy and I know her. And um, she's a lesbian. And so she comes in, she sits down, and I know where I'm going because I know where the text is taking me. It's dealing with women who leave the natural, you know, uh, uh, for the uh, what's not natural. Men with men, women with women. And now here's the moment, you know, so do I, oh boy, we, we, she's here, she's a lesbian, so, uh, you know, and, and I'll tell you, I, I've had people, and they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong, a thousand times they're wrong, because you never win anybody by deceiving them. But there are some that would say, man, you shouldn't even teach on that. I taught on it. 
after I taught on it, I, I went down. She was the first person I went to, and I, I went down, and I gave her a hug. I said, how you doing? She goes, good. I said, well, um, not target preaching. That's where we're at. And she goes, I wouldn't expect anything different from you. She respected the fact that I'm not, she knew where I, she came from a Christian home. She knew what the Bible teaches. She knows what the Bible teaches on this. You see what I'm saying? So there are times when you're going through the Bible, you're dealing with topics that aren't, you know, necessarily comfortable topics, but they're important topics. And so you're well-balanced, you're growing, you're maturing, you're, 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 you're not tossed to and fro by, by winds of doctrines, doctrines of demons, you know, what this person thinks and what that person thinks and these types of things. But you're just simply standing your ground. You know, we, we've had over the years, I, um, you know, I'm, I get in trouble for a lot of things that I say because I say a lot, you know, from here from the pulpit, but, um, you know, I remember talking about, uh, and I don't just go off on these things, I mean, it fit into the teaching that night, and I was talking about this uh, holy laughter stuff, and I said, you know, that's not, I said, I wish people would just simply do their own research, I said, you know, um, before I became a Christian, I was into the whole new age thing, that's why people, everyone thinks, you know, Dan's such an idiot, you might be surprised. Sometimes it might come back <laughs> because, because I'm thinking, at least I, I do my research. I know what I'm looking at. I, I know what I'm, you know. But, but the whole holy laughter thing, I, you know, to point out to people, do you know that before I was a Christian and I was following these gurus, Maharishi Yogi and these types of people like that, do you know that there were gurus from India that would rub the third eye and people would begin to laugh hysterically, and that they were doing it, the Hindus were doing it, they were doing it before it ever came into the church. And there are people who are so malnourished when it comes to the word of God, they say, well, they were just, they were just copying the work of God. They copied it by doing it first? See, it doesn't make sense. If you're... If you're if you're in the Word of God, you know the doctrines of the Word of God, and you just look at those things, and you're able to make judgments. Nehemiah was talking to me before tonight. He's teaching the high schoolers, and he says, you know, Dad, I, I want to do this. He's asking me some questions, and we're talking about... And so I said, you know, but I said, we can't, we can't question a person's heart. Only God knows the heart of a person. I said, but, you know, what I try to do with the adults, what any teacher with children should do, we want to train people to think biblically. And I said, you know, what is, what is the verse that everybody knows? Everybody knows. Everybody knows this verse. Or they think they know it. And, I, and he said, judge not, lest you be judged. And I said, exactly. Everyone knows that verse. <laughs> But it's like they don't read the next. <laughs> I mean, it's not like you don't even have to turn the page. <laughs> it's like, and the Lord says, judge. The word means do not condemn. You cannot condemn somebody because you don't know their heart. But you make judgments. When he talks about the tree and what comes from the tree and how you'll recognize a tree by its fruit, 
And Jesus is saying, make judgments. You need to make judgments. Now, how would we be able to make sound judgments unless we know the word of God? You see what I'm saying? So, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you crave his word as a baby craves his or her mother's milk? Remember, isn't that the picture that Peter gave us? Yes, it is. I I think it's such a beautiful picture because a nursing baby... Man, they, they're vicious, you know. I mean, they, they, they're, they're, when they're hungry, they're good to go, you know. And I think it's such a beautiful, beautiful picture of what the Lord, how the Lord wants us to be when it comes to his word. That, that we, it's like a, you know, like a thirsty man who, you know, I'm dying of thirst and I just, oh, I got to drink something. I'm going to die, you know. And you just, you're just taking it in. And that we would have that same desire when it comes to the word of God. So you say, but I don't have it. So what do we do if we don't desire things or we desire the wrong things? Well, we take it to prayer, don't we? Lord, would you help me? Would you help me, Lord? Listen, you've been faithful in a few things. A few things. You've been faithful over a few things. You know what, guys? Here's the unpopular part, if I haven't already touched on unpopular topics, but here's the unpopular, and it's the truth. We don't have enough hours in the day to do the many things. But we will always have enough time to do the few things. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about, no, let's bring it back to the Word of God. I think that there's a lot of Christians, a lot of people, you know, we want to serve the Lord and we can get our hands in a lot of different things and we're not really efficient in any of those things. And I almost wonder if it would be better if we just kind of backed off a little bit and really sought the Lord and said, Lord, excuse me, what do you want me to be? involved in what do you want me to you know what ministry or whatever it might be what do you want me to do I'm just too busy I need to back off I need to pull back so that I could be faithful over a few things so that I could be efficient maybe over a few things rather than being involved in so many things let me pull it in a little tighter I think that There is always enough time for the Word of God and for the Lord if we make the time. But we have to make the time because it doesn't just happen. I always go back because I want to use myself as an illustration and see my illustrations aren't as weighty as they once were because I've been a pastor for a long time. So people would say, oh, that's easy for you, Dan. You know, you get up in the morning, you don't have to go to work. I do have, I have a job. (laughs) I have a job. Uh, But, you know, that's easy for you. You know, when I was a carpenter, 
my life was like yours. I didn't come rolling up to the job site when I decided to come rolling up to the job site. There was a time that I had to be at work. And when I was on the job, when I was on the clock, I, you know, I knew, listen, I knew the biblical principle of not cheating my boss. I knew that from the Bible. So I'm going to work. I'm going to work hard. I got side story. We were building these, you know, million dollar homes that doesn't sound like much today <laughs> because a lot of homes, I guess, are million dollars, but million dollar homes in uh, Montecito. So we lived in Santa Barbara and it was in Montecito, right, right by the, the um, golf course there in Montecito. And um, my, I got a job with this company because my father-in-law was the chief architect of the company. And it had a carpentry wing and a you know cabinetry wing and you know other things. So I'm I'm just, I'm 19 years old. I'm 19 years old, and um, there was some kind of shifting around on the job, and so I end up now I'm working for a different contractor, and we're doing the foundations of these million dollar homes in Montecito that my father-in-law designed. And so I'm 19 years old, and it was only because every other guy on the job was a complete flake. The, the contractor put me in charge when he wasn't on the job. He says, you're the foreman. I said, I, I'm, I don't know anything, you know. But, but I had a, a little cheat sheet, so I would take those prints home. Uh, I would take them, would go over to Tracy's mom and dad's house, and I'd roll them up, you know, there's... Robert Johnson's signature on the prince, you know. And I say, Bob, we're doing this foundation tomorrow. I have no idea. I, I don't even know if I'm holding this thing the right way, you know. And, and he'd go through the whole thing, and we'd write notes down. And I look like, you know, the sharpest 19-year-old. on the <laughs> But I'll tell you where I got into trouble. I wasn't a Christian when I was 19, and I dealt with things differently. And I remember standing in the footing... And the, the contractor had left, and so his cousin, who happened to be working on the job, is kind of leaning up against some lumber, smoking a cigarette. And I said, w- would you get over here and help me? Because we're, we're putting the forms up, you know. It's a two-man job, you know. I said, would you get over here and help me? He goes, hey, man, who do you think you are? And so then I got up out of the ditch and showed him who I thought I was. And when, I, when the contractor came back and his cousin was gone... And I explained what had happened, and I said, I don't think I should be the foreman when <laughs> I don't deal with these things very well. But the point is, is that we can make time. And when I was a, a construction work carpenter, you know, I'd roll up on the job site. I'd get there half hour early, 45 minutes early, and, um, and I'd just have my quiet time, read the Word of God. I'll tell you, I needed it by the time lunch got around because you're working with guys and, you know, just the language and the attitudes and all of that. And it's like, Lord, thank you for getting me through the first four day, four hours of the day. And I pray for the next four. And I just pray that you would help me, Lord. And I just, you know, and I'll tell you, the Lord 
honored that and the Lord blessed that. And the Lord opened doors of ministry for me early on in my walk with Jesus. It wasn't because I was well-rounded in the word of God. It was because I put so little effort into it, but so few were putting any effort into it. And so it was like the Lord was just fanning into flame and saying, you know what? I like this. I'm going to give you more and more and more and more. And that's what he does. But I would watch some of my friends. They would, you know, I'm a Christian, you know, and hey, man, everything in moderation. and, And they just, they weren't, they didn't read the word of God. They had no desire to serve the word of God. Man, they're going here. They're going there. They're doing many things. They weren't doing anything efficiently, but they were doing many things, but they didn't make time for the Lord. And slowly but surely, you know, these guys that I knew that really inspired me when I first got saved, you know, it sounds like a boast, and it's not a boast because it wasn't me, it was the Lord. But some of these men that were, were discipling me when I first got saved were coming to me six months later, a year later, and they were saying, man, you know, you're doing a prison ministry, and you're, you're doing this, and you're doing that, and, and I've been saved for all these years. And I said, well, why don't you come? Oh, I can't, I can't, I, you know, I just can't break away. So you're either in one or two categories, you know, either we're going to give ourselves to the word of God. And I would tell you that we're living in the last days. Nothing else is going to matter. The hunting trip, the game, the this, the that, the many things that we can get caught up into. Nothing is going to matter. It's a few things. It's a few things. And the Lord is looking for his servants who are faithful in the few things. And I would say things pertaining to the word of God, things concerning him. We are, we, are that, we are that generation, guys. I believe we're the last generation of the church. And we have this responsibility to share the gospel with people. And you know, we get, we get caught up in many things and debate many things and, and be distracted by many things and wore out and exhausted and come to the end of your life and say, what in the world did I do with my life? What do I have to show for it? And the wonderful thing is, is that none of us have to, you know, we don't have to quit our jobs. We don't have to become hermits. You know, sometimes people, they want a, the knee-jerk reaction. Okay, I'm going to quit everything. Well, no, don't quit everything. Just be faithful to the Lord. And see opportunities. I remember one of the pastors I used to listen to all the time. He said, on Mondays, it's my day off. A lot of pastors take Mondays off. I take Fridays off so that I could actually have a weekend. Friday, Saturday is my weekend. And so Monday, I'm in here. But most pastors take Mondays off. And he said, I used to, um, every Monday, just to kind of relax and debrief, I would go to the river with my fishing pole, and I would just spend the day sitting on the river. He said, that's what I used to do. He said, Mondays are still my day off. I still go to the rivers on Monday, 
but I leave my fishing pole at home. <laughs> and I take my Bible and I commune with the Lord. And the Lord ministers to me there. And, you know, I guess that's what I'm suggesting, that we would choose the, the better thing. Remember Mary and Martha? And Martha was all bent out of shape because no doubt she wanted to have the best dinner that Jesus ever ate, you know. She's all uptight. And she's mad at her sister because Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And remember what Jesus says, you know, she's chosen the better thing. I'm not going to tell her to get up and help you, Martha. She's chosen the better thing. In other words, Martha, there's plenty of room over here for you. Just come and sit and receive and I think of what Jesus said we saw it a few weeks ago remember when he said the poor you'll have with you always but me you won't always have I don't think that Mary had an inside scoop on what was happening but Jesus knew they weren't going to have him very long and she was choosing the better so Lord would you help us to be a people who realize that if we give ourselves to something good, like your word, reading your word, studying your word, knowing your word, believing your word, applying your word to our lives, Lord Jesus, then it's going to produce fruit in our life. And the fruit that it produces in our life is going to surprise us and bless us. Lord, those servants started out as servants, but two of them ended up as rulers. Would you help us, Lord, to recognize that how we live our life now will have an effect upon eternity. Would you help us, Lord, to recognize, according to your word, according to biblical doctrine, how we live our lives now, the things we choose now in this life, will determine our position and our service in your kingdom. Would you help us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.